Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If God has been good to you this week, let me hear you say amen. In spite of whatever happened, uh, if you are grateful that you are alive, let me hear you say amen again. If you are excited to be in the house of God, to hear the word of God, let me hear you say amen again. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you for the sound team for freeing up my hands because now I can preach with my hands everywhere. I praise the Lord for everyone that has come to worship with us uh, this morning. In case there are people who are going to work, walk inside today, I ask that the team at the back uh, try to lead them to the side. I can see that there's no more chairs, but there's a lot of chairs on my right side. So just, just lead them that way uh, so they can find a seat. This is the third month that we've been preaching about relationships together with Pastor Henry. In the month of February, the theme was, you do not complete me. It was for the individual, single or married, because in any form of relationship you are in, you are an individual, bringing not only your individuality, but also your commitment and desire to make it work. Last month, the shortest month of the year, February, the theme was, you do compliment me. Compliment with an E, not an I, meaning that my presence in your life ought to add value and not take away from it. To end this trifecta of a series, the theme is, you do community with me. This is not working. When you are born, I would like to believe that you were born in a hospital. There were people. You go home, you're surrounded by people. You go to school, you're surrounded by people. You get sick, you go back to the hospital, you're surrounded by people. You come to church, you're surrounded by people. And because of technology, we are actually never ever alone. We are surrounded by people. Even if we don't know them, we are surrounded by people. And so this morning, I want to deal directly with the family, you know, Mom, pops, kids, whatever dynamic it is, whether there's only a mother or only a father, a step-parent, a guardian, an uncle, an aunt, a grandparent, whatever the dynamic is, I want to tackle the issues in the family. Because as the family goes, so does the world. Amen, somebody? The family makes up the neighborhood. The neighborhood makes up the community. The community makes up the city. The city makes up the country. The country makes up the continent. And all these continents make up the world. But it begins with you, mother, father, children. When you step out into the world, the things you say, do, and think about reflect on the family. And so that's what I want to deal with today. Within the family unit, whether it's in dating or in marriage, this question comes up. Who are you? When you're dating somebody, getting to know that girl or that guy, when you're asking questions about work, about food, about relatives and parents, really you're asking, who are you? For some people, it takes three months and then they propose. Not a great idea, but you do you. For some people, it takes three years. I know guys who are still dating for seven years and he still hasn't proposed yet. I don't have a problem with him. I'm wondering, what is she doing with this joker? After seven years, you know everything you need to know. But the question is always asked, who are you? 
When a husband does things that are out of character, the wife is wondering, where's the man I married? When the woman becomes something that she wasn't before, the man is asking, where is this person I married? When kids act out of character, parents are asking, who are you? When the parents are acting the fool and the children are looking at them in embarrassment, they're wondering, what happened to my parents? Who are they? Let's go to our Bibles. I want you to see where this passage of Scripture comes from. Uh, Pastor, do you mind bringing me my water? Uh, I'm going to need it at, at some point. Take your Bibles to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27. I have learned as I preach in this place not to assume that everybody is familiar with the most familiar passages of Scripture. Thank you. And so what I want to do, I'm going to read a very, very long passage, and from it we'll extract some lessons around this question, who are you? Genesis chapter 27, I'm going to read from verse number 1. As often as I, I do, I read from the New Living Translation, and this is what it says. One day, when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son? Yes, father, Esau replied. I am an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and your quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish, bring it here for me to eat, then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. But Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a meal. My apologies, I lost the page. I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, said a mother to her son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two fine young goats. I will use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. But look. Jacob's reply to Rebekah, his mother, my brother Esau is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him. Then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. Verse number 13. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. So Jacob went out and got the young goats for his mother. Rebekah took them and prepared a delicious meal, just the way Isaac liked it. 
Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her youngest son, Jacob. She covered his arms and smoothed part of his neck with the skin of the young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including fleshly baked, freshly baked bread. So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said. Yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you? Esau or Jacob? Who are you? Esau or Jacob? This is probably one of the most interesting dramatic stories in the scriptures. It begins with probably the most romantic encounter a man and a woman could ever have. Rebecca and Isaac got married not knowing each other. In fact, in those days, parents arranged marriages for their children. Uh, today, parents still try to do that, but it's not working out that well. But in those days, the trust, the, the family unit was so strong. See, let me talk to Gen Z and millennials right now. I, I know you're thinking to yourself, that must have been miserable. But here's a statistic for you. Arranged marriages tend to last longer than ones that are not. Chew on that for a second. But in those days, the family was so knit, so tight, that whatever decisions the father made, the wife backed it up. She didn't back it up because she was scared. She didn't back it up because she didn't support her man. She backed it up because she understood what the man was trying to build. The husband also understood that my wife's role is so important. In those days, women built the home and not the men. They lived in tents. It wasn't the men that erected it. It was the women. Because it was understood that the heart and soul of the home was the mother. And so this family unit was so tight that a father could communicate with another family and say, Hey, my son is old enough now. Give me your daughter so that my son can marry her. Not only was Isaac and uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah's marriage so tight at that moment that Abraham himself didn't have to go. He sent his most trusted servant. Hands up. How many of you can trust your driver to find a husband for your daughter? That's exactly what Abraham did. And so his servant goes over. He sees this young lady tending after the flock and giving them water. He tests her generosity. She gives him water. He shows her some gold and some bling bling and says, my servant's son wants to marry you. She says, yes, I will do it. And probably up to this story point, this is the least dramatic couple in all of the Bible. We don't hear Isaac cheating on his wife. We don't hear him doing any foolishness. He's faithful up to the end. But as all family drama goes, he picks up some bad habits from his father. One day in their youth, Abraham and Sarah had to leave their home because of a famine. And so they went into a foreign country. And before they got in, Abraham looks at his wife and says, listen, you are so beautiful. I know somebody's going to want to take you from me. So here's the deal. I am your brother. You are my sister. That didn't go so well. Let's go to the next generation. Isaac and Rebecca, same situation, find themselves in a strange land. Rebecca and Isaac do the exact same thing. He claims that it's his sister and not his wife. What I'm trying to say is, mom and dad, be careful. Your kids are not listening to what you say. They're watching what you do. 
It doesn't matter how many church services you take them to. If they see you make a mistake, they are bound to do the same thing. My aunt said to me, be careful about the things you hate in your parents because the thing you hate is a thing you become. So young people, be careful not to resent your parents because guess what? That resentment turns into the thing that they were. And the cycle continues over and over and over. And so by the time you get to this text, Isaac and Rebecca, this supposedly perfect couple, is blessed by God to have children. Genesis chapter 25, the Bible says that Rebecca is pregnant and the pregnancy is so complicated and painful that she feels not only kicking, but she can feel tension in her womb. And instead of going to see the doctor, she goes to God. And when she goes to God, she says, why is it that this pregnancy is so difficult? And God says to her, there are two nations in your womb. Don't let that pass you by. Because when God sees a child, he doesn't see a child, he sees a nation. When God sees a church, he sees a nation. In other words, for the Lord, he plants a seed in all of us, knowing that when we step out of the house, we become something that the community can see. And so God says to them, listen, it's not only just two kids, those are two nations that are going to come out of you. If the text had stopped there, the story would lose it's drama. But I want you to know, when God looks at the family, he sees a nation. You are not only raising children, you are raising doctors, lawyers, nurses, teachers, hopefully preachers, entrepreneurs, CEOs, secretaries, drivers, nannies, chefs, women, hotel owners, and so on and on. You are raising people that are going to affect the fabric of society. And so God says, you are raising nation. Pause, pastor, rewind and start over much slower. I've been sharing this graph with you over three sermons now. They say repetition deepens impressions. So let me do, do just that right now. I said to you, when you're choosing a life partner, this framework will help you determine whether this person fits within the spiritual journey that you are on. It also applies to the family. If you want the family to stay together, always be driven. This is for believers, by the way. Sometimes there's a bias in the preaching. This makes sense to the person that believes in Jesus Christ and belongs to the Christian community. The Christian believes that Jesus is coming one day. The Christian believes in the Great Commission that believes that people ought to know about Christ, that the preaching is not for the preacher, but for each and every one of us. The cause. The community is the church or the group that you belong to. Your capacity to love people will determine everything. Now, when it comes to the the devil wants to disrupt the cause. In order to disrupt the cause, he must disrupt capacity. Are you with me? In Genesis, we encounter a family of generations all the way through to Exodus and to the Gospels. It all begins with Abraham and Sarah. The devil tried to come between them. He failed. Now comes the son. Isaac, who has been given the blessing, the charge of passing on, not just earthly possessions, but the call that one day Jesus would come and that we as Hebrew people take the gospel to the world. Isaac was supposed to pass this on to the next child. So the devil sees an opportunity. 
And so he knows if I can disturb their capacity to love one another, I will mess up the community because when capacity is gone, the community falls apart, the cause suffers. What happens now in Rebecca's womb? Children, two boys. Two their names are Esau and Jacob. In the womb, the two boys begin a fight that would continue all the way into manhood. When they are born, Esau comes out and Jacob follows hope onto his heel. God says to this mother, your younger son Jacob will rule over the older brother. Sometimes the word of God causes problems in the home. It doesn't cause a problem because it's bad. It causes a problem because we are bad. We receive what God says through the sieve of our experiences, through our social uh, 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 accomplishments, through our own psychological processing and trauma and drama and stupidity. So that a mother, father and children receive what God says differently. God gives the message to the mother and not the father because God is the ultimate disruptor. God doesn't do things according to what you want. He does things according to what he wants. The culture said the firstborn gets everything. God said, you know what? I'm going to stir things up. I'll give it to the secondborn. I'm not going to tell the father, the patriarch. I'm going to tell the matriarch, the mother. And so the mother's told in her OBGYN session, that what you have are two nations that are going to go at it until the end of time. And so the devil disrupts capacity because what happens is Isaac loves Esau because Esau is a hunter. Rebecca loves Jacob because Jacob is a homeboy. He watches daytime television with his mama. He bakes cookies and cakes with his mama. He goes shopping with his mother. But Esau is a man's man. He wears timberlands and camouflage and he goes out hunting. And so the father says, that's my boy. That's how a man is. Jacob wears peach shirts and tight pants and skinny jeans. And Jacob is thinking to himself, I want to impress my mother. Esau wants to impress his father. And the family gets divided right in the middle. Remember, this is the family that's supposed to become a nation that takes the gospel to all the world. But all of a sudden, they've distilled themselves to favoritism. Favoritism is a cancer that is killing a lot of families today. It is one of those things that is not said, but is known. It is not talked about, but it exists. Everybody can feel it. Everybody knows. Everybody knows when the favorite child comes with a C. Dad says, it's okay, you can do better next time. When the middle child comes with an A, why can't you get an A plus? Everybody knows. Why are you not a doctor like your sister? Why can't you run a business like so and so? Why do you decide to be a preacher and not an architect? Amen, somebody. You can love your children differently based on their needs and gifting, but you can't love one more than the other because of the gifting or your need. Don't miss it. Do you know why parents favor one child over the other? It's not about the children, it's about the parent. You fail to be something, and so you called your child junior after yourself, and then you forced your child to become the thing that you didn't manage to become. You want your child all of a sudden to succeed in their generation the way you succeeded in yours. 
You want your child to accomplish the things that you've built, that you've acquired, and you keep this pressure on them. You want them to have the big piece of the cake, but guess what happens when a child eats a big piece of cake? It gets sick. There are children who are sick and tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired of their parents expecting them to be something they're not. When you pressure a child to be something they're not, they will work hard to be the opposite. They will fail on purpose. They will disappoint you so that you leave them alone. So it's okay to love them differently. After all, one is a girl and one is a boy. One is creative and the other one is logical. One likes science, one likes politics. You must recognize that and give them the love they need based on the differences. But please, don't place one over the other. Amen, somebody. Because you're thinking, what does this have to do with the Gospel Commission? It's the reason that your kids might not be sitting in church right now. It's the reason your kids might be here, but their hearts are outside. They're on their phone right now. So there's uh, qualities in each of them that I want to identify so that you can understand and see yourself in the story. The first quality I want to identify in every family is fear. Fear is an ugly thing. Fear hurts people. Fear causes bad decisions to be made. Fear will cause a husband to look at his wife suspiciously for the rest of their marriage. Fear will make a woman unable to speak her truth because her husband is towering over her. Fear will cause children not to open up and to keep the scars and the hurt and the pain and even the dreams and desires they have because that's not what daddy wants for you. The Bible says that when Esau was of age and Isaac was getting old, he was becoming blind. And in the process of his blindness, Isaac made the mistake of confusing blindness with death. Because after the story, Isaac lives another 40 years. And so he was afraid that he was dying. And so he says to his son, go hunt like you usually do. Bring back some food for me so that I can eat it, and then I will bless you. Mommy is around the corner listening to this conversation between her father and his favorite son. And so out of fear, she runs to her son, Jacob, and says to him, something's happening, we need to deal with this. I've read some interesting stories online in the past and this week that reflect how overreacting can cause problems in any home. Listen to this. Acting on what you overhear and not what you discuss will lead you to overreact. I heard a story where a mother overheard her daughter say, Babe, I think I'm ready to do it. My parents know that this was going to happen anyway. Let's do it. Click, phone conversation over. She panics and she runs to her husband and says, oh no, babe, I think, I think our daughter wants to have sex with her boyfriend. What are we going to do? As father's hour with their daughter, he runs over to the room. He takes her phone and he says to her, you are grounded for a month. Don't come out of this room until I say so. In the middle of the week, she, she goes to her father and says, dad, can I please have my phone? I'm waiting for a response from the university. And he says, what university? Well, you've been wanting me to attend the university you went to, and my boyfriend convinced me to do it. I think I'm ready to go to where you studied. There's a story that happened in, in Mexico or one of those countries. A wife stabbed her husband because he had naked pictures of a woman on his phone. 
She went to the police station and, and, and on upon interrogation, the husband didn't die. He said, honey, it's you. And she looked at the picture and she realized, oh, that's me when I was younger and slimmer. <laughs> the moral of the story is, do not keep naked pictures of your wife. She might not recognize herself in 10 years. I read another story where a husband came home and he heard his wife say, I love you too, make sure he doesn't find out. And for a week he carried this with him and he decided, you know what, I want to get a divorce. He went to the lawyers, the lawyers started to file some papers and he went home. It was his birthday. He got into the house saying, I want to divorce this woman. And everybody screamed, surprise. She was talking to the child because they were planning his birthday. Listen, I'm trying to say, stop overreacting. Go talk to your partner about it. Find out what he meant when he sent the heart emoji. Ask questions. Rebecca decides, you know what? I'm not going to let this happen. God spoke to me. I'm going to fix it. God is not doing anything about it. I am the mama bear. I'm going to take care of my cub. I'm going to handle the situation. So she goes to Jacob and she says to him, follow my instructions. Right there. A husband and a wife are divided. A father and a, 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 a mother are divided. And the two boys have been divided since they were born. Human manipulation can never override divine intervention. Guess what? The promise belonged to Jacob. Because God said so. But Isaac was so caught up in cultural and traditional persuasion that he was not willing to let go of the fact that the first one deserved it. And so throughout the lifespan of the children, this perfect couple, before kids came along, they were perfect, they were good. But all of a sudden, these children come along and husband and wife become divided. The husband cannot accept the word of God as given by the wife. The wife cannot accept what the husband is doing. And she is willing to break his trust in order to get what she wants, not what God wants. Because I'm here to tell you, if God says it's for you, it's for you. It doesn't matter whether you get sick, you get old, you are fired, you are chased, you are, you are maimed, the person divorces you. Whatever is for you, God will give it to you. The teachers can say you're stupid. The professors can give you a fail. But if God says it's for you, it's for you. But this mother is driven by fear. And so she takes over. Because when it comes to parenting, I can testify, fear always takes over. You see your child walking on the road. Like, no, no, let me hold his hand. The child can't do anything without you intervening. You want to move stuff around. He can't eat by himself. He can't walk by himself. Why do I keep saying him? Is this about my son? So that's fear. Let's talk about blindness. Let's talk about blindness. One day, when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son. See, in the story, he's not blind yet, but he's getting blind, which means his vision is no longer 2020. It's not only blurry, but he can't see people. So the loss of sight means he must depend on his other senses. You know, it doesn't please me to say what I'm about to say, but generally speaking, when it comes to parenting, mothers usually know more about the kids than fathers do. All the father wants to know is, are you behaving? Are you getting good grades? Are the lights on? Are you eating? And are you dressed? That's all they want to know. 
Now and again, they'll give you an expensive phone, but that's as far as it goes. But a mother knows the emotions, the fears, the proclivities of their children. Doesn't matter whether it's a boy or girl, mothers know. This man has been blinded, not just by age, but by patriarchal desire to pass on a blessing to the firstborn son. And so, instead of it being a family event where the blessing is passed on in ceremony, he does it in secret. He tells his son, listen, I'm old, I'm about to die. Listen, go, go kill something, bring it, cook it for me, and I'll give you the blessing. He's taking a shortcut. And so mommy also decides to take a shortcut. Because I don't care what generation you are in. Whenever the man of the house takes shortcuts, the wife will also start taking shortcuts. And when the parents take shortcuts, the kids will take shortcuts. Be careful not to nurture the gift at the expense of character. Oh, uh, Esau loved Jake, uh, Isaac. Isaac loved Esau because he was a hunter. That's it. He loved him because of the gift of hunting. His ability to kill God's creatures, that was enough. Because when it comes to parenting, there's a temptation to fall in love with the gift. If your daughter is a beautiful singer, but your son can't sing, all of a sudden you start sending your daughter for lessons, you're going with her, you're not going for the soccer practice or the son, you're going with your daughter for singing lessons, and you're nurturing the gift. You send her to Indonesian Idol or whatever country you're from as you're watching, and so what happens is the other child feels neglected. But what I've seen is parents will nurture the gift, but not the character. You're so focused on this thing that the child does. Hashtag, I'm a great parent, but the child has terrible relationship with the people. The child is proud. The child is filled with this envious spirit because you're not doing your job as a parent. Do you know what God says of Esau in Genesis chapter 25? Do you know why God chose Jacob? The Bible says, God says, I love Jacob, but I hate Esau. Hate is a strong word, but in the context of the verse, it simply means I have chosen Jacob because I've looked ahead and I can see that as far as the kingdom is concerned, Jacob will do a better job than Esau because as our heavenly father, he looks ahead, but earthly parents look right now. Even when our kids are choosing a life partner, we want somebody who has it all. You don't believe in potential. You don't believe in, oh, he's in college. You can't marry him. He's in college. He's only got his first job. How much does he earn? You see what they have and not who they are. Amen, somebody? Be careful not to give one child the opportunities, resources, and attention that are specifically meant for another. I'll move on. Who are you? Who are you? Esau goes out hunting. Rebecca has told her son, go get two lambs. I'm the mother of the house. She knows her husband. She knows what he likes to eat. Let me tell you how good a cook Rebecca was. Isaac loved game meat. Anybody here eaten game before? Anybody know what game is? You know animals that you don't raise at home? Antelope, deer, elephant, those are, that's game. So Rebecca is such a good cook that when she cooked the goat meat, it tasted so good, her husband thought it was something else. That's how good a cook she was. And so she says to her, her son, go get these lambs, 
I'm going to cook them for you. Remember, Jacob can cook, but uh, mommy's taking over this assignment. And then she says to him, I'm going to get your brother's clothes, and then I'm going to put some fur on your neck and your arms because for some reason, uh, your brother is hairy. He was red and hairy. Do you understand? He looked like an orangutan. That's basically what the Bible is saying. And so the, 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 they decide, this mother decides, we are going to fake it so we can make it. But God says, I prefer you faith it so you can make it. Amen, somebody. But she does this. And, and so Jacob says, listen to what Jacob says. Jacob says, but mommy, because that's how mommy's boys sound. But mommy, if I do this, what if dad finds out? Notice his concern. He's not concerned about doing the wrong thing. He's concerned about being found out. But that's how they were raised, you see. Granddaddy did it. Mommy and daddy did it. So I want to, but I, I don't want to get caught. And so Jacob goes with this plate of food and he goes there with his uh, onstage theater outfit looking like a werewolf. He goes to his father and he says, dad, I'm here. And the father says, son, who are you? Who are you? I said it at the beginning of the sermon, but it concerns me that some parents don't know their kids. I've seen parents get called to a school because their child did something and the mother will defend their child to death. Oh, it can't be my child. My child attends Pathfinders, Adventurers. My child goes to uh, 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 worship every day. My child is part of this society, is a Girl Scout, is whatever. My child would never do this because they don't know their children. They don't know their children. It is my greatest fear to not know my son. I hope it's something that you process every day as a parent who has kids in their 30s and 20s who are making decisions you never imagined they would. Do you know why it surprises you when your daughter does something that you don't like or your son does something that you don't like? It's because you don't know them. You spent your time putting expensive clothing on them and buying them gadgets but not giving them character. Who are you, son? Are you Jacob or Esau? Are you my favorite son or that other girly one? Which one are you? The worst part is when a child doesn't know a parent. You raise them. You spend so much time making money, but you, your child doesn't know you. Your child knows you because of the name on the credit card, but they don't know you. They know you when they're driving your car, but they don't know you. And when they find out certain things about you, <gasps> Daddy, is this you? Mommy, is this you? Who are you? By the way, when you're planning to get married, this is not January, but it's March. It's about the family, but I like commercial breaks, yo. When you're getting married, when you're planning to get married, the question should never be, who are you? The question should be, who am I? If you spend more time asking yourself who you are, you won't have a problem knowing the other person. You will see the red flags a mile away. But if you don't know yourself, you will spend your life asking, who are you? Commercial break over. The ungrateful. In any family, there are fearful people, there are blind people, but there are also ungrateful people. Oh, I'm coming after everybody. Moms, pops, kids, I'm coming after everybody. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 25, one day the hunter came back from the fields while Jacob was doing his thing, trying out some recipes, that day he decided he was going to cook beans. 
By the way, uh, if you've never tasted good beans, ask Pastor Henry to make you red beans, okay? He's his. Hey, whoever marries him, she's blessed, yo. She's blessed. Brother can cook, but he's not Jacob. So the Bible says that one day Esau came from the field and he was hungry. And so he sees his brother by the stove cooking up a storm. And he goes to him and says, give me some of those red beans. Now remember, Esau is close to Isaac and Jacob is close to Rebekah. And if there's anything about mothers, mothers believe in repeating themselves over and over again. So you can imagine every time they're cooking or baking. Now listen, son, remember God said you're going to get the blessing. I want you to be a good boy because one day all of this is going to be yours. I've said it on this stage. I want to say it again. Stop telling your children that the house is theirs. It's not. Until you die, it's your house. They are just a guest until they turn 18. Okay, not for Asia, but for Africa. <laughs> Esau says to his brother, give me some of your beans. And Jacob says, ha, opportunity has presented itself. Oh, you want these beans now? I'll give them to you if you give me the birthright. Notice he didn't say blessing, he said birthright. Because in order to get the blessing, you needed to be the firstborn. And in order to get the birthright, you needed to also be the firstborn. So Jacob understands, if I can make him renounce being the firstborn, I can get the blessing. And so Esau says to him, dude, I'm hungry. What does the birthright have to do with me right now? I don't care about being the firstborn. Sure, you can have it. Esau was raised by a father who had a rich history. Abraham was a wealthy man. Abraham passed on his wealth to Isaac. Not only did he give him wealth, possessions, land, and animals, but he also gave him a spiritual heritage. Isaac, I believe, did his best to pass it on to, uh, to Esau. But Esau was an ungrateful son. Because parents know this. You can do your best with your kids. You can give them everything, including the kitchen sink. You can buy them a house. You can buy them a car. You can give them the greatest education in the world. But there's no guarantee that they'll turn out to be something. You do your best as a father and a mother. But the son says, I don't care about this thing. It's yours. You can have it. Being grateful will lead you to being graceful. Do you know that the most angry, moody, bitter people should only take one form of medication, and that is gratitude? A wife who complains about her husband's inability to make her happy a husband who complains about a wife's inability to make him happy is ungrateful. A child who always wants the next thing but never says thank you for what they have is ungrateful. A child who looks at their parents and thinks, oh, I wish you were richer than you are right now like my friend's parents. That's ingratitude. Ingratitude fosters bitterness, anger, lack of satisfaction, greed, all the negative synonyms you can think of come from a place of ingratitude. And Esau had manifested ingratitude in his life. And even before he's born, God decides it's not for you. But what happens when a parent is not paying attention? A parent will give all the money, all the exposure. A parent will send the child they love overseas and send the one they don't to local schools. But ingratitude will never buy the love from their child. Are y'all with me this morning? If you are, let me say yes. And finally, 
the unfit. The unfit. What does that mean? Esau was ungrateful. Jacob was unfit. See, even though the blessing and the birthright were for him, it wasn't the right time for him to get it. It wasn't the time yet. But see, the mother's fear clashed with the father's blindness, which was met by an ungrateful firstborn son, and now the lastborn is unfit. Listen, what if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him, then he will curse me. He is more concerned about being cursed than doing the wrong thing. Ladies and gentlemen, that is why your children have more than one Instagram account. Because even though they want to act a fool in the world, they don't want to embarrass themselves in front of you. So whatever account you think you're following, that's not the real one. Who are you? The father asks his son, who are you? Jacob is not Esau. But Jacob is willing to commit imposter syndrome in order to get that which is not his just yet. Because when a child wants things from a parent, a child will pretend to be something they're not. They'll put on long dresses. They'll stand up stage and sing. They'll preach and teach and give. They'll do all the religious stuff because they want to be Esau even though they are Jacob. They want your blessing. They want your approval. So they'll keep pretending to be something they're not. Oh, daddy, I love going to church with you. No, you don't. You went to church because you want to attend the Blackpink concert later on. Amen, somebody. Don't ask me how I know that. All I hear is my son saying, Blackpink in the area. Somebody pray for me. Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn. That was lie number one. That was lie number one. He lied about who he was. I am Esau. I have done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Lie number two. That was not game meat. That was domestic meat. Now sit up and eat so you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, how did you find it quickly, my son? The Lord, your God, put it in my path. Lie number three. Now you're going to bring God into it? Daddy, let me marry him. God told me he's the man of my dreams. Mommy, let me have her. God told me she's a woman of my dreams. But notice he says, your God, not my God. That was the truth. Because at that moment, his name is Jacob and not Israel. He doesn't know his father's God yet, but he wants the blessing. He attends the church service. He's there for the singing. He says amen when the preacher says so, but his heart is not there. He's unfit for the assignment. He's not ready. He's not where he should be. He's not the person he's supposed to be. But the Bible says that his father's blind. He doesn't know any better. And he's willing to pass it on. Spiritual imposter syndrome is killing the family. You're raising your kids thinking they love Jesus. You think they're going to marry like Jesus. You think they're going to choose careers like Jesus. But what you don't realize is that as a parent, you failed to lead your kids. You thought you were doing the right thing by making them religious. But the problem is they're religious, but they don't know Jesus. And so when they make choices, they're honestly making the choices where they are. I get it. I understand. Do you? Spiritual imposter syndrome is killing the family. Church families are in church, but not really. Eventually, one of them leaves. The son, the daughter, the wife, the husband. Somebody leaves because you can't fake it forever. 
Loving God is impossible to fake. I don't care who you are and whatever you do, you cannot fake this journey that we're on. At some point, the world will win because one foot in the church, one foot outside is a miserable existence. God says, I don't want you to be lukewarm. I prefer if you're hot or cold, choose something. Your earthly father may not understand, but your heavenly father does. Who are you? Who are you? Mom, stop operating from a place of fear. Who are you? Dad, please open your eyes. Stop pretending like you don't see what your kids are. Open your eyes. Love them anyway. And to the kids, stop pretending. It's hurting you. You're sick all the time. You have ulcers, gastritis, faces breaking out. You're using filters to look pretty online, but you're dead inside. You're smiling on Instagram. And on TikTok, you're doing those dumb dance videos. But inside, the music has stopped. Stop pretending. Heads bowed. Eyes closed. Heavenly Father, I am Isaac. I am Jacob. I am Esau. I am Rebecca. I am speaking to Isaac, to Esau, to Jacob, and Rebecca. We are human beings who are driven by the environments that we are in. But this morning, Lord, I am attempting to get us out of that place where we don't know who we are, we don't know who we're with, we don't know what we're raising, and we don't know who our parents are. Help us, Lord, to have an honest moment. It's not always the firstborn son that makes us proud. Sometimes it's the middle child. It's not always the firstborn that becomes a doctor or the lawyer. Sometimes none of them do. Not all your kids are going to become the thing you want them to be, but as long as they love the Lord, let them build for the kingdom. Don't, don't rob them of the love of Jesus because you want the love of the community. Lord, I'm praying this morning out of ignorance because I don't know what's going on in the audience. I don't know what is the tension in the homes of the people that are represented here today. I don't know what burdens a father is carrying for his children. I don't know what burden a mother is carrying for her family. I don't know what kids are carrying them with them. There are two different people depending on the room they are in. They are this person at home. They are this person at church. But at school, they are who they are honestly because they feel free and not judged. Oh, but home, there's a shadow over them just casting judgment and resentment and the, the sins of the past are being passed on to the next generation. I, I don't know these people, but Lord, you do. You have known them from the cradle. You've known them from the womb. You knew them before they were born. You've ordained their lives. You've given them a path to live on. But if they love you, they can live on that path. If they love you, they'll let you in. But Lord, it's so hard to get rid of the imposter syndrome. We've We've gotten married to this other person, this alter ego, this, this person that we, the mask we hide behind. The person we pretend to be has become our representative that we don't know how to be anything else. But I'm praying today, Heavenly Father, that Jesus would come inside and begin to rearrange the furniture. I pray that Jesus will begin to come into our brains and rearrange our neurons and our tracks so that we can love God more than we love ourselves. 
that we will get off social media just long enough to know who we are, to stop validating ourselves based on comments and clicks and retweets and likes and follows. Help us to find our identity in our Father, our Heavenly Father, because when we know Him, we will know ourselves. Lord, who are you to us? You are a Savior. You are our Shepherd. You are our Heavenly Father. You are our rock, our fortress. You are Elohim. You are Jehovah Jireh, our provider. You are the healer, the great physician. You are everything we need and more. You are the God who is self-existent. If we stopped preaching and singing and praising, you would still be God because you know who you are. Moses asked, who has sent me? And you said to him, I am that I am. And so as we worship you and get to know you, we'll know ourselves so we can know our family. Father, I'm praying, I'm pleading the blood of Jesus because people are burdened. People are going to the grave with burdens on their hearts. And I'm asking you to reveal yourself to them. And now I pray, Lord, that you be above us to watch over us. I pray that you will be beneath us to lift us up when we fall. I pray that you will go ahead of us to guide us in the way. I pray that you would be behind us, that we would never go astray. I pray that you will surround us to protect us until the end. But above all things, be in our hearts so that we can be like Jesus every single day. In his name, in his name we pray. Let everybody say amen. And amen.